This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today I want to continue with something that I've done a few times before, which is what I call As He Leads. And it's a conviction that I have that there are times when I'm recording this podcast, the Lord wants me just to turn on the microphone and start recording, pray and see what he has for us in the moment. Of course, in all the other podcasts that I've recorded, I've been prayerful about what the Lord wants me to say as I prepare my notes. And in this case, I really feel like God wants me to fully depend upon his revelation moment by moment. And this is my act of obedience. I've talked a lot about how important it is for us to do the will of God, not just to hear it, but to do it. Jesus commands us to do what he says, not just agree with him, but to actually live out what he says, to hold tight, to put into practice his words. And so today, that's what I hope to do. Before I get to that, however, I want to share something that came to me by email. A listener gave a little bit of feedback. And I want to thank those who have written recently. If you want to give me some feedback or contact me with some ideas or thoughts, please feel free to write to me at ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. Again, that is ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. That is the letter C is in cat twice at the end there. And one of the listeners um, says that she listens while she's running. It's interesting to get the feedback. I know that people are listening in their cars. Some are listening as they're drifting off to sleep. I mentioned that earlier. He's listening as she runs. It's interesting also to me to look at the statistics of where people are listening. And you got people all over the world, which is great. Even though you, who are listening right now, don't know the others, there is a sense of a spiritual unity that you have with others who are receiving the same meals from the Lord. His word is like bread. And as my words are endued with the power of his truth, as that happens, it doesn't happen all the time, I don't guess, but it helps people, I think, and you all are sharing in the same meal, even though you don't know one another, or you may know other listeners, but don't know that you're all listening to me. Anyway, uh, one of the listeners here wrote and said that she was struck by my mention of Proverbs 19.11, which is, it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. And I talked about that in a previous podcast. To overlook an offense is a glorious thing. And I'll read what she wrote. She said that that resonated in my heart, and I've been dwelling on it for a few days. And continuing with her note, My initial thought was the American camp song, Going on a Bear Hunt. You'll have to look it up if you aren't familiar with it. It's a fun kid's song with hand motions that sings about all of the obstacles you encounter on the way to find the bear. And the refrain is, can't go over it, can't go under it, gotta go through it. Well, that's kind of fun, hunting a bear and all these obstacles as you try to find the bear. Can't go over it, can't go under it, gotta go through it. 
continuing with what she wrote, as we overlook the offense, we are not avoiding it. We are going through it, but keeping our eyes fixed on the ultimate goal, which is Jesus. Keeping our eyes on the goal, fixed on Jesus, is what sustains us on our journey. Amen to that. Continuing, overlook, the word overlook, is also translated as pass over in the King James Version. This is what she wrote. The angel of death passed over the Israelites' houses. The Passover lamb sacrifice each year passed over the sins of Israel. And Jesus was the final Passover lamb who atones for our sins so that they are overlooked or passed over. Amen. This is a part of the character of God. Overlooking sin, overlooking offense, not pretending it doesn't exist, not living in a false reality. It's recognizing that it's there, but keeping our eyes ultimately on what's ahead. Yeah, so I say amen to what this listener wrote. I was talking yesterday with one of our partners in a foreign country who's having a bit of a difficult time right now because the culture is in turmoil and there are big challenges in that country. And I was sharing how God wants his people right in the middle of these hardships. That's why he allows us to suffer. He allows us to suffer so that we'll be more like Jesus. He allows us to share in the sufferings of the people around us so that we'll have empathy for them. But also, he puts us like seed, like he scatters seed all over the world. And he puts his people right in the middle of hardships so that we can be a consolation to others. Not so that we can be consoled, but so that we can console others. We can comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. If you feel like you're in a hard time right now, and it can be something that may not appear to be a hard time, but it could be very spiritually challenging, or I know that I have listeners in countries where there are some very, very difficult things going on, even the threat to life, their own lives, as they live the life that God has given them. God has put you there. He's put you in the middle of that hardship because he wants you to be salt, to bring preservation and comfort and uh, to help the people that are within arm's length. You can't help the whole culture, but you can help those that are just right with you, right close. People that are motivated by fear, people that are angry, very angry, people that are trying to preserve themselves even though they feel like they've lost control of their lives. All of those things are very common in the human experience, and God wants us, his people, to be right in the middle of that so that we can really bring hope, true hope. The scriptures say that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. We don't pretend the hardships don't hurt. They do hurt, and we have to endure them. But there is joy ahead, real joy and release, and we have real hope. The Apostle Paul, when talking about people who have died, he says, we mourn, but we don't mourn as people without hope. Yes, death to self hurts. It always hurts. And what we go through hurts. Very painful. 
but the Lord will give us the strength to endure so that we can be like him. We can surrender our lives for the sake of others. So I'm really encouraged by the feedback that I've received. And if you feel at all inclined to write to me and give me some more feedback, I'd love to hear it. Well, let me read another couple of things this writer wrote. She said, I loved what you said about all believers being in heaven together one day, a unified body of believers who are without sin. Until then, sin is what clouds our relationships, both mine and theirs. So when we overlook or pass over an offense, we are placing that person in the care of the Holy Spirit to continue to sanctify their heart. It prevents us from saying things in sin that will cause further damage to the relationship. As you mentioned with Paul and Barnabas, I thought that was probably what happened in their disagreement. They overlooked the offense. They did separate for a while and went their separate ways, but perhaps the overlook was that they did not say permanently damaging things to each other, but put the offense into the hands of the Holy Spirit to work on, quote, your heart and mine, unquote. And we do see later that they were able to reconcile. Yeah, there are so many times when we just have to control our tongue. Love is doing to others what we would have them do to us. And if we don't want people speaking harshly to us or speaking to us in anger, even if it's true, then that's the way we should treat people around us. Just hold our tongue and trust the Holy Spirit to do his work in our hearts and in other people's hearts. And there are times when the Holy Spirit will say, lovingly confront this person. And there are times when the Holy Spirit will say, hold your tongue. So even that is not our decision. Our decision is whether we're going to be obedient or not. But what we do and when we do it and how we do it, all of that should be the decision of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is the head. We're not. We're members of his body, and so we really need to stay connected to the head so that we can receive that instruction, we can receive that life, we can receive his guidance and wisdom, and then put it into practice through obedience. Again, thank you so much for the feedback, and uh, now I'll move on to what I spoke about earlier. And <laughs> I'm going to say it again. Before I get into that, I just want to say a few words about this. I, I realize that not everybody listens to everything that I've recorded, and some people may be listening for the first time to this sort of episode. And what I'm doing, basically, is the New Testament understanding of prophecy. Again, I know that that word can really be off-putting because, well, I've been in cultures where there are false prophets prideful people who claim to speak the Word of God who are not clearly speaking the Word of God. And I was thinking about this the other day. When I was in Congo, there's a big issue with false prophets. And they told me a couple of examples of what these false prophets are saying to people. And one was, for instance, a prophet who says to a woman, the Lord has told me that you must leave your husband and your family and marry this other man. You must divorce your husband, leave your family, marry this other man, and then the blessings of God are going to flow to you. Well, that is a false prophet because God hates divorce. 
his heart is towards reconciliation. His heart is towards unity between husband and wife. But these false prophets, they'll say things like, if you give me $1,000, then the blessings of God are going to return to you tenfold and things like that. So I understand how people can really get upset about prophecies or speaking prophetically or claiming to be prophetic. And yet it's in the New Testament. It's a big part of the life of the New Testament church. All through the book of Acts, all through the letters, just everywhere there are prophets, prophetic utterances. In 1 Corinthians, we understand we're taught some about this gift. And I just want to point out a few things in the scriptures to help you understand my understanding of this. And I do take it directly from the scripture. I hope I don't go beyond it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul has just finished in chapter 13 talking about the primacy of love and how love is so much more important than any other gifting or any other way of acting even. And in the beginning of chapter 14, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And this is where I had to deal with something that's in the Bible that I didn't really believe was true, because when I became a believer, I was of the mind that the spiritual gifts had ended with the establishment of the canon of Scripture, and that's a common understanding. But I also believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and I don't see anything in the Bible that says these gifts are going to end before the Lord comes. Now, some people will say that in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, there is the understanding that all the spiritual gifts will come to an end and have come to an end. And in verse 8 of chapter 13, Paul writes, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues or languages, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For now we prophesy in part, we know in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish things behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Some people, a lot of people, will apply the scripture to say that prophecies and the gift of tongues no longer are in effect, that the time of the giving of these spiritual gifts is over because now we have the scriptures. However, I don't see that so clearly here. Paul talks about, we see now in a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. And I believe that's a reference to our full redemption, our, our full salvation, when the Lord comes and sets everything right. And his instruction to us is to follow the way of love and desire the spiritual gifts. Now, moving on to specifically prophecy, in verse 3 of chapter 14, Paul says, Everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. That's the New Testament gift of prophecy. Speaking words from God to people to strengthen them, 
to encourage them, to comfort them. There's also, in one of these words here is translated as edification, to build up, like in building a building, to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. And a little bit later, in verse 12, Paul says, Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. And this is where false prophets miss the mark. They're building themselves up. And spiritual gifts are given by our loving Father to build others up, to encourage other people. And a little bit later in chapter 14, starting in verse 26, Paul says, What shall we say then, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation, a language or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. It's interesting, Paul says, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation. He doesn't say everyone should. I think in their meetings, people were coming prepared to minister. They were eager for spiritual gifts and they were coming to their meetings. Someone would have a hymn that they want to sing. Someone would have a bit of instruction or some wisdom. Clearly, they were speaking in other languages and they were interpreting those languages. Uh, And then verse 29, we see how prophets should function, people with a prophetic gift. Paul writes, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. There's a lot here that's very, very helpful. And even though I'm speaking and you don't have the feedback loop to stop me and make me sit down and then you speak, I understand that my role here is to share what the Lord is giving me and let you weigh carefully what I say. You have the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've been born again, If you have the indwelling spirit, which is his promise to his people, then you have every right to weigh carefully what I say here. I'm offering it to help you and build you up, and it's possible that I could miss something, or something that I say may not apply to you. But please, weigh carefully what I say. And I'm not the only voice that you're going to hear. Paul is saying that two or three prophets, two or three people can speak, And everybody should weigh carefully what they say. And if somebody gets a revelation while they're sitting down, the first speaker should stop. And everybody can prophesy in turn in a way that is peaceful and orderly. And that's what I hope here, too. Okay, well, I feel like I've said enough about that. I perhaps have raised other questions in your mind. And please feel free to contact me if you do have questions about it. But this is where I'm coming from. A prophetic gift is a normal part of the Christian life. And in fellowship, people who receive revelation can share that with the church to build them up, and the church should weigh it carefully. So now that I've said all that, what I'll do is pray and see what the Holy Spirit has for me. And and again, you're going to hear uh, some silence as I pray. I'm going to edit that down to maybe 10 or 15 seconds after I've recorded, but Please understand that I may be praying for a minute or two, uh, waiting to see if God has anything for me to share with you, so it doesn't come as quickly as it may appear in this recording. And I encourage you to do the same.
ask for this gift so that you'll really encourage people and build them up. All right, well, let me pray now. Okay, well, Proverbs 14, verse 12, comes to mind pretty strongly. Now, again, as I share these things, I don't assume that they apply to every listener. However, it may apply to you. Please carefully weigh what I say. And, um, it, may, uh, and it may be a help to somebody that you know. Or actually, it might apply to you later, if you listen to this again. <laughs> or I may be wrong. I want you to weigh it. So Proverbs 14, verse 12 There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Well, that's what came to mind, and now I'm just seeing if the Lord has anything else for me to say about that. It does apply to this podcast. It's called Ask for the Ancient Paths, and much of what I share relates to walking on a path or the way or the road of life, things like that. And there is a way that seems right to people, but it leads to death. In the end, it leads to death. There are pathways that seem right, but they lead to death. Boy, there's a lot of that in history. I think there is someone who's listening right now. You're at a point of choosing. You have a couple of options. Um... And it's like a fork in the road. You're standing at a point, and you can go left or go right. But the further down either one of those decisions you get, the further away you get from the other path. At this point, they're close, but they do go off in different directions. And um, if you think this word is for you, yeah, I encourage you to stand still and wait as you're at this point of decision Don't make a decision too quickly, because there is a way that may seem right, but it isn't right. This might be similar to a word that I had a while ago. It seems very familiar. There is a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. We, as followers of Jesus, um, we want to walk on the path of life. And, um, amen. Life is full of moments of choosing. There are a lot of things that seem right according to worldly ways of thinking. Amen. Self-concern, self-love, building a legacy. (laughs) It can have a very selfish motivation to it. I don't know, maybe that word means something to somebody who's listening. It may seem right for you to choose things that would create a legacy for yourself. But be careful about that decision. Be mindful. Submit yourself to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And for all of us at any time in life, uh, I've had this scripture come to mind when I was going into meetings, praying about how the Lord wants me to respond or interact when I'm talking to people and working through things, helping them or being corrected. And there is a way that seems right, but then it can also lead to a very unpleasant ending (laughs) 
And so we need to be mindful that the, amen, like last time we said, the wisdom of God is foolishness to men. And he uses what appears to be foolish to us to confound us so that we can't boast in ourselves. So if you're at a point of choosing, uh, be willing to appear foolish. Other people around you may think, well, you're not choosing the right way. This way is clearly the right way. But I think the Lord is saying, be cautious about that. Trust him. I will say this, be trusting. He's a good shepherd and he will call you by name. So don't be fearful, but be mindful and ask for God to give you wisdom. Amen. Okay, let's see what else, if the Lord has anything else for me to share right now. Okay, well, Luke chapter 6, verse 46, and um, yeah, amen. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Yeah, amen. Why do you call me Lord, but do not do what I say? You know, that really pierces my heart, and it really is a word that divides. It reminds me of on the judgment day, Jesus says that he's going to be separating the sheep from the goats, and he's going to send some people over <laughs> with the goats, and they're going to talk back to him and say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and do a lot of miracles in your name? And he'll say, I never knew you call him Lord. They claim to be doing things in his name, but they, they didn't know him. Those are church people, as I've said before. There'll be folks that are involved in Christian ministry who don't know the Lord, and they're not actually doing what he says. They call him Lord, but they're not doing what he says. They're not loving him to the point of surrendering themselves to him. Well, that's what obedience is, is setting aside our own desires, our own wisdom, and allowing someone else to make the decisions, and we act in obedience. And this is what Jesus expects of his people, to hear and obey, to trust and obey. Jesus says this just before, here in Luke, he talks about hearing words and putting them into practice. It's like a man building a house on a rock. He introduces that here, saying, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? So boy, this is a word for me and for everyone listening. Seriously. If you call Jesus Lord, then do what he says. Otherwise, there's a storm coming, and whatever we build is going to be wrecked if we're not building out of obedience. As a matter of fact, here, I'm just looking down in the scriptures a little bit. Jesus says, everyone who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment that the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. I think right now people are being hit by torrents or in the middle of storms. And the only way that we're ever going to weather 
these difficult times and these storms and torrents is through obedience. I guess now is the time I was thinking about something that Elizabeth Elliot said. I mentioned this in a newsletter recently and uh, shared it with people, different circumstances. Elizabeth Elliot, uh, for those of you who don't know, she was a missionary for 11 years in South America. Her husband and several other men were killed by the tribe that they were going to evangelize. And later she lived with that tribe and led many of them to the Lord and became very good friends with the men who had murdered her husband and the other men. Later, she had a radio program and talked a lot, primarily focusing on women's ministry, uh, marriage, singleness, family, discipleship, self-denial, things like that. She's really wise. She passed away a few years ago. I've recently been listening to some of her recordings, and one thing that she said struck me she talked about the consolation of obedience, that through obedience we are consoled. She often said that we should not try to be consoled, we should console others, comfort others, encourage other people, and not try to receive that as much as be givers of that. And the way to walk in that, the way to receive consolation and to understand God's consolation is through obedience. And this is what Jesus is saying. This is what he says to us because he loves us a lot and he wants us to do what is best. He is not a leader who demands allegiance at the cost of his followers. He is a loving Lord who realizes that when we walk in the ways that he reveals, then we're really on solid ground and we're will be consoled and strong and encouraged and what we've been created to be. And this consolation of obedience has been on my mind recently quite a bit. When we go through hard times, we want to be comforted so that we can sort of get back on our feet and then go live a life of obedience. And yet God's way is be obedient. Do the things of God. Do what he calls you to. Do what he says and then we'll be consoled. Then we'll be on firm ground. Even though we are going through the same storm that everyone around us is going through, this torrent hits everyone, whether our house is on just the dirt or whether our house is on a rock. We all go through the same storm. And Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer be encouraged. I have overcome the world. And the way for us to overcome the storms of the world is obedience. Letting him be the head. Letting him be the Lord. Another translation, of course, of Lord is boss, but that doesn't really fully communicate the meaning of Lord because a boss is your boss because you choose to be employed at a place, and yet Jesus is the Lord, and there's a time coming when every knee is going to bow before him in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is the Lord. On that judgment day, there are people that will be sent away from the presence of God, but they're still going to recognize that he is the Lord, and they're still going to bow that knee before the judgment throne. We, his people, should be living 
that way all the time, bowing our knee and humbly submitting in obedience to him. We should be the people now who are prepared for the judgment day so that when it comes, it's familiar territory. We know what it is to call him Lord and to do what he says. Amen. That's a good word. I tell you, that's speaking to me as well as I hope to you. Let's not just call him Lord. Let's really do what he says. Well, and that brings to mind something I was reading a few days ago. It's from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 21, verse 28 and following. This is known as the parable of the two sons. Here's one of the teachings of Jesus for us. Jesus said, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Well, the first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So this is a conversation Jesus is having with the chief priests and the elders. And he's having, it's actually pretty fun to read this, the way that he talks to them and turns their thinking around or challenges their thinking. But here, Jesus is saying, who actually did the will of the Father, the one who said he was going to do it or the one who actually did it, saying that he wouldn't? So I'll point out something here in verse 29 that stands out to me now that I look at it. Verse 29, that first son says, I will not go, but later he changed his mind. And then he did go. And later, in verse 32, Jesus uses the word repent, that these leaders did not repent. And repent means basically to change your mind, just like that first son. So tax collectors and prostitutes, these, quote, sinners, are the people who said, well, I'm not even going to try to do the will of God. I'm just going to live the life that I've got. But they repented. They changed their minds. And then they started doing the will of God. Amen. So we need to change our minds and repent. Yeah, so that's good. Amen. Let me see if the Lord has anything else here. Okay, so I have a sense that somebody listening right now is going through a pretty hard time within your family, and particularly in relationship to your parents, and maybe sort of what I sense is that it's primarily with your mother. You're an adult, and your relationship with your mother is challenging, that often your mother is accusatory and will put you down, will presume the worst of you, doesn't listen to what you have to share. I have a sense that you're treated with contempt. And boy, that's a terrible thing for a parent to treat their child with contempt. But this is the reality of your life. You have this conflict where really the Lord, of course, doesn't want this conflict. That's your mother. However, you're facing this. And I, th yeah, amen. 
think the Lord wants you to be encouraged. Don't stand on the foundation of your relationship with your parents. Stand on him. Put your relationship with Jesus above, first, before that of your relationship with your mother. Your mother needs you to be strong in the Lord. She is uh, thrashing around and fearful and lashing out. You know, it comes to mind years and years ago when I was in Austin, Texas, I had some neighbors who had a cute little dog. And the dog ran out in the street and a car hit it and it broke the dog's hip. It didn't kill the dog, but it broke the hip of this little dog. And so my friend, she's a young lady, went running out to pick up her dog. And her dog was in such pain and so confused and so hurt that it bit her really hard. It was yelping and squirming and she reached to pick it up and it bit her, man, really bit her deep in the hand. And uh, that sort of image comes to mind about your mother. This lashing out is actually coming from a place of confusion and pain and um, world being completely shaken and turned upside down. Her mind is not as it once was and not as the Lord wants it to be. So in that sense, even though it feels really personal to you that your mother is treating you this way, it's actually not personal. She would snap at anyone who came close, just like that little dog was just responding out of pain and self-preservation and confusion, shock, amen, shock. So I feel like the Lord is saying to you, step back a little bit emotionally, and that may sound impossible to you, but he will give you the strength to do the impossible. He does this all the time with us, even though we are told to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn, that we should have emotions and share those emotions as other people are going through hard things. There are times, too, when we need to have a little bit of distance and see things from God's perspective. And, yeah, another thing that comes to mind, a really good friend of mine said this years ago. Uh, he's an elder at a big church, really solid believer, and he said to me one time, the best thing I can do for my family, and the best thing I can do for the church, is to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And he was saying that if he wanted to help his family and wanted to be of service in the church, the most important thing was to love the Lord with everything. And I believe that's the word for you. The best thing that you can do for your mother is to love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And I know you love your mom, and I know it hurts terribly. But the Lord is also going to give you a shield to stop those fiery darts so they don't pierce your heart like they have up until now. And now you have a choice. This is on the theme of everything that we've been saying. If you believe that this word is for you, you have a choice now. Are you going to walk in what God is revealing to you? Or are you going to sit back and say, yeah, that sounds right, but Mike doesn't really know all the circumstances and there's these other things to consider. If you feel like the Lord is saying something to you, press in, discern, carefully weigh what I'm saying, 
And if it really is something God wants you to do, then you do it. In Psalm 23, there's a wonderful image that has been a great help to me in times of real suffering, real hardship. You prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. And that is such a wonderful image, even though you are surrounded by enemies and attack. The Lord says, sit down, have a meal. Here's a table. It's been prepared for you. Relax and enjoy the good things and the fellowship of sitting at a table and eating in peace while the enemies are all around, right there. And I think this is the word of the Lord for you right now. He's prepared a table for you in the midst of this storm. And uh, you have a choice. Will you sit at that table or will you continue to fret and be anxious and allow your thoughts to be clouded by anxiety? When what the Lord is saying, sit down, take a load off your feet, enjoy a good meal and rest. Amen. The Lord is with you. And so you have nothing to fear. The Lord says, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So don't let your thoughts go to the future or what will happen if this or that. Don't even worry about it. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's a loving father. He knows what you need. And if you'll stand with hands open to receive what he has for you, then you're going to get it. Keep on knocking. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. And he will reward you. It's coming. Amen. So I think I'd like to close with a little story about the prophetic gift. And I don't say this to draw attention to myself, but I do want to tell a story that will illustrate the power of allowing God to work through us and speak through us. Several years ago, my family and I were going to Austin, Texas from Russia And for those of you who don't know, I lived in Austin for many years. I was on staff at a church there before moving to Russia. So we were returning to our home church, and they asked me to speak on a Sunday morning. And often, not all the time, but usually, before I speak my prepared notes, I'll pray and see if the Lord has a specific word for that fellowship at that time, which I would define as a prophetic word, an encouraging word to strengthen and comfort the fellowship. And so for the week prior to speaking at the church, I was praying and I had a very strong impression in my heart that there was a specific message that I was to bring. And I didn't want to do it. And you'll hear in a second why. And for the days leading up to that Sunday, I kept sensing in my spirit that I had to say this. And I did not want to say it because it um, could be offensive. It could be wrong. It's a pretty, pretty hard word to share. And I didn't, I, boy, I just kept having this conviction. Even up to the moment as I was walking up to the podium, I, I just, I knew that I had to say it, but it was a great burden. And the word was this. And I said something like this. There is someone here who is considering divorce. And the Lord is saying to you, do not do this thing. It seems right to you to go through with this divorce, but it is not the right thing. 
God hates divorce, and you think that you are making a good choice that will lead to more peace, but it will lead to ruin. God is saying, do not do this thing. And I said it something like that with uh, real conviction because, boy, it was so much on my heart. But you can understand why I was concerned about it. It's such a heavy thing to say, just standing up in front of a fellowship like that. And I had been away from Austin long enough that there were quite a few new faces there. I knew a lot of folks, but uh, there were a lot of people I didn't know there. So I shared that. I went on with uh, the sermon. And after I was done, after the service, one of the leaders of the church came up to me and said that there was a family. It was a husband and wife and some kids, two or three maybe. They were sitting down in front over to my left. And I, I saw them there. I didn't know them at all. They were a new family there. And the leader of the church said to me, they are planning to go through a divorce. They've been talking about divorce, and they're planning to do it. And if my memory serves me correctly, it was that week that they were going to go sign the paperwork. And the leader of the church said that because of what I said, that touched their hearts so deeply that they were not going to go through with that. So I think they spoke after the service, and then I got that feedback So that's an example of how the Lord works. He loves that family dearly, and he loves them so much that he'll use a guy like me. He'll use a person like you to bring a word of truth and revelation, to bring a word of encouragement and life, a word of warning. But it's a word of warning that's based in love. So I wanted to share that with you. I was thinking about it. A few days ago, I was thinking about what I would record, and this story came to mind and comes to mind again here. I feel like I should share it with you. Be bold. If you feel like the Lord has given you a gift, you exercise that gift for the good of others. The Lord loves people so dearly, and he gives us gifts, whatever the gifts are. There's a spiritual gift of administration, the gift of help, the gift of faith. It's not flashy or cool. It's not speaking in other languages or or doing miraculous things, miraculous works or healings. But to really have faith for someone else when God gives you this real deep spiritual gift of faith and you can exercise that faith with others and encourage them in the faith, do it. Amen. Do it. So I guess, again, that's the theme. Why do we call him Lord? and don't do what he says? Why indeed? So let's be people who hear his words and put them into practice. And in doing that, the people around us are going to be consoled and comforted and given hope. And let's do these things in a way that all eyes are turned to the Lord and not to ourselves. Amen. So until next time, I do pray that we, as God's people, will continue to receive his revelation and life and that we'll walk in those things and as we walk in the way that he's revealed to us we'll have peace for our souls amen amen jesus said to his disciples now that you know these things you will be blessed if you do them thank you for listening and god bless you all